0: Welcome to Inspire Churches podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at InspireChurches.com. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Now y'all got to do a little better than that. I've been preaching in front of a camera for about a year and a half, and now I got to see some faces and some bodies. Y'all gonna have to talk back to me just a little bit. Christ is risen. Come on, y'all, Christ is risen. Amen. There's the, uh, there's an old call and response. It's, it's steeped deep back into church tradition, church history. In fact, it goes all the way back to the morning, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ when the women came to the tomb, any ladies out here? The women came to the tomb and found out first, they came back and told the men, and of course the men didn't believe, the men have problems, but the lady said, no, we saw an angel, and the angel told us that Christ is alive, he's risen, and the church from history past has adopted a call and response that they now use as a standard greeting on Resurrection Sunday. And that greeting is this. Someone would say, Christ is risen. And the response would be, he is risen indeed. And so as they greeted each other, they wouldn't say hello. They wouldn't say, how are you? But they would look at each other and they would say, Christ has risen, and the response would be, He has risen indeed. So we're gonna try that out just for a moment. So when I say Christ has risen, I want you to respond, He has risen indeed, okay? Can we try it? All right. Christ has risen. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it one more time. Christ has risen. Okay, now say it like you believe it, okay? Christ has risen. Yeah, I love that. Why don't you give yourself a round of applause? Thank you so much. Technology is struggling today. We're getting updates left and right out here. And so I'm going to just switch so I can get my notes out. Thank you so much for being with us. I am so excited. We are coming back in about Mother's Day. Is that about five, six weeks away? The countdown is, I think, about five weeks away. The countdown is on. I am just uh, excited to get back together. You know, there's nothing like the embodied presence of church. I mean, we've been going to church online. We've been having our Zoom, and that has been good for this season. But nothing can replace the embodied presence, being next to a fellow believer, hearing their worship, hearing their praise, Come on, seeing them. And even if you're broken, there's nothing like coming to church, whether you're super high and you feel amazing. Yeah, and if you're high too, there's nothing like coming to church. Or if you're super low and you've been broken, there's nothing like being with the body of Christ. And so I am absolutely excited to get back together. And I am counting down the days because I know that I need it. I need it in Jesus name. Amen. And so it is good again to see everybody here. Thank you guys. Your first time with us. Thank you guys for joining us. The Union City BART station. This has been an amazing place for us to gather once a month. And uh, it's just, I'm going to kind of miss this. I'm like, maybe we should do this a little bit more often, but I'm definitely going to miss coming out here and gathering together. But nonetheless, I'm gonna tell you a story, a resurrection story that you can find in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And so by way of introduction to my message today, I want to tell you about this story that Dr. Luke records in his Gospel. You see, it was a wild Sunday afternoon, to say the least. Tired, Confused and grieving, Cleopas and his companion decided to leave the city of Jerusalem and head back home by way of a road that led to Emmaus. And on their way home that Sunday afternoon, a stranger began to approach them and kind of ear hustle their conversation. Have y'all ever has somebody ear hustle, or maybe you do the ear hustling. A stranger approached and overheard what they were talking about, and that stranger decided to jump in the middle of that conversation, and he said, hey, what's going on? What, What are you talking about? And they looked at that stranger, and they said, where have you been? Have you been under a rock? It has been crazy. Jerusalem is buzzing because... There was a man who called himself a prophet and had done great and mighty deeds and wonders in the city of Jerusalem and outside. And we had hoped that he would be our liberator. We had hoped that he would be the Messiah, the promised deliverer from the grips of Rome, but on Friday, he was executed by the state. And now, some women are claiming that the grave is empty. Some women are claiming that he's not there. Some women are saying that they went to visit the burial site and an angel saw them and told them, why do you look for the living among the dead. And so they were confused and perplexed and saddened and did not know what to believe. So they just decided to go home. Dr. Luke tells us that the stranger replied to them and said, oh, foolish ones, don't you see that this was a part of God's plan all along? He said, don't you know that it was necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into glory? So the stranger sat these two individuals down and began to open up the Hebrew scriptures. And he began to show them from Moses to the prophets he began to point out to them and open up their minds about the truth of the Messiah you see he began to point out to them that Jesus was everywhere in the Old Testament not just in prophecies but symbols types Patterns were everywhere, pointing toward, looking to, and anticipating the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of redemptive history culminates in Jesus. All of human history finds its culmination in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of redemptive history culminates and finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And I just want to say today, my prayer is that your eyes would be opened, that you would have an enlightenment moment this morning, that as we go through an Old Testament book, Daniel, that you will see Jesus in Daniel and that you will see in Daniel the plan of salvation and that you will glorify God's plan for salvation in Christ alone. I'm entitling my message this morning, The Den and the Tomb. The Den and the Tomb. But before I get into this message, I wanna invite you to listen to Daniel Tell his own story in his own words.
1: Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule over the whole kingdom, with three administrators over them, one whom was The satraps were made accountable to us so that the king may not suffer loss. Now, I had distinguished myself amongst the administrators and the satraps so much so that the king intended me to rule over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find charges against me in my conduct of government affairs, but (laughs) they could not do so. Uh, You see, I am trustworthy. I am neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men came together and said, we will never find charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So, These administrators and satraps got together and went to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, the satraps, the prefects, and the advisors, and the governors have all gotten together and have agreed that the king should issue an edict and set the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being within the next 30 days except to you, king, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den. Now, issue the decree, your majesty, and put it in writing, in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians so that it cannot be changed. So, the king issued the decree and put it in writing, Now, when I heard that this decree had been published, I went home, (laughs) I went upstairs to my upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, I got down on my knees. Thank you, honey. And I prayed to my God, giving him thanks just as I had done before. Now these administrators and satraps got together and found me praying, asking God for help. So they went to the king and said, King Darius, did you not set a decree that any man who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, should be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, it has been set." The law has been written in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, so it cannot be changed. Then these men said to the king, Daniel, one of your exiles from Judah pays no attention to you, king, or to your decree. He continues to pray three times a day. This distressed the king very much. So much so, he spent the entire day trying to rescue me, trying to save me until sundown. Then the men went to the king and said, Remember, king, that any law that you put in writing cannot be changed in accordance with the Persians and the Medes. So, The king set the order and they grabbed me and threw me into the lion's den. (laughs) The king called out to me, may your God save you, Daniel. And then they rolled the stone over the mouth of the lion's den and the king sealed it with his signet ring and the rings of the nobles so that my situation could not be changed. The king went home to his palace that night, and he did not eat, nor did he request any entertainment, and he could not sleep. The next morning he rushed to the lion's den in anguish and called out to me, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God rescued you from the mouths of the lions? I answered, May King Darius live forever. The God, the living God, has sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions because I have been made innocent in his sight. Nor have I done anything to wrong you, O king. The king was overjoyed. He sent the order to pull me out of the den. And when I was pulled out of the den, I had no wounds not one for I was made innocent, and my God saved me. I trusted in my God. And uh, the king's command, he asked for the people who had falsely accused me, and they were thrown into the den with their wives and children, and before they could even reach the bottom, the lions had overpowered them and crushed their bones. Now, now king darius wrote at that point to all nations and all people this this may you prosper greatly i issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence The living God, the God of Daniel. For He is the living God, and He endures forever. His kingdom cannot be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders. He performs signs. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So I, Daniel, (laughs) I, Daniel, prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persians. Jesus. Come on, come on.
0: Watch your step, Daniel. What a story. What a story. What a story. The book of Daniel is an amazing and incredible story. What a story. What does this story have to do with Easter? I want to tie in the Old Testament story with the New Testament story, all of redemptive history, every story from Genesis to revelation to malachi to the prophets to the to the uh, to the to the proverbs to the psalms all look to and point toward jesus christ he is the main character of the story no offense you and i are not the main character of the story typically when we read the bible we read ourselves into the heroes but jesus is the hero of the story it's all about him And as the story goes in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was favored, faultless, framed, fallen, and freed. Daniel was favored, faultless, framed, fallen, and freed. In verses 1 through 3, Daniel was favored. As he told his story, you heard that he was favored by King Darius. A new kingdom had now taken over as Babylon had fell. Can you believe that Daniel outlasted Babylon? If you've been following the story, now it was the Persians and the Medes turned to rule the world, and there was Daniel favored by King Darius. The scriptures tell us that Daniel was promoted to one of the top three advisors in the lands. There, Daniel even distinguished himself above his two contemporaries, and as a result, Daniel was poised to be set over the entire kingdom. Scripture tells us the reason why was because inside of him he possessed an excellent spirit. Now this parallels the story of Jesus Christ, Son of God, favored above all else with God the Father declaring in his baptism, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And it didn't take long for this Jesus of Nazareth to distinguish himself with the people above all other religious leaders and contemporaries like the Sadducees the Pharisees and the scribes, and even Jesus, he himself was poised to receive from God the Father, the kingdom, all honor and glory and authority belong to him on heaven and earth. Now, whereas Daniel had an excellent spirit, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Whereas Daniel had an excellent spirit, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed to preach to the poor, anointed to pardon the prisoners, give sight to the blind, set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Daniel was favored and Jesus was favored. In verses four through five of chapter six of the book of Daniel, we also see that Daniel was faultless. Jealous of his service. Come on, anybody ever experienced a little bit of jealousy? Somebody ever maybe been jealous of your accolades? Somebody ever been jealous of what you have accomplished? So maybe you've been jealous of somebody else. We've all been there. Jealous of his service envious of his position and threatened by his influence, the other administrators collaborated together to conspire against Daniel. And in an effort to discredit Daniel, they plotted and planned, watch this, searching for skeletons in his closet. But guess what? Daniel didn't cut any corners. He didn't take any bribes. There was no history of employee misconduct in Daniel's file. There was no sign of any illegal activity or any kind of corruption. But scriptures reveal they could find no ground for complaint because Daniel was faultless. Does this story sound familiar to you? There were multiple plots to try and slip, catch Jesus slipping, to try and trip Jesus up. Multiple plots to try and see if Jesus would have any skeletons in his closet. In fact, the Gospel writer, man, Matthew chapter 22, tells us of one such plot. Scheming to trip Jesus up two different groups of people came up to him and they asked him in public, should we pay taxes to Caesar? <laughs> what do you think? Should we give Caesar taxes or not? And now this was a lose-lose situation because there were implications no matter what answer that Jesus gave. If Jesus said yes, he would have endorsed Rome, a pagan nation, godless, satanic, people who had come in and took the people of God captive. If he would have said yes, he would have endorsed Rome. But guess what, if he would have said no, he would have subverted the empire in public. Jesus, being full of wisdom, perceived that this was a plot, if you remember the story, he grabbed the gold coin and he looked at it and he said, render to Caesar's what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God. He said, look, whose image is on this coin? And they said it was Caesar's image. And he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. But what I really wanna draw your attention to in this story is the people who were coming to trip Jesus up. Matthew tells us it was the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now that probably doesn't mean much to you unless you understand who the Pharisees and the Herodians were. This was like the liberals and the conservatives plotting together. Can I get an amen? This was like the far right and the far left joining forces to see someone fail. This was like the Democrats and the Republicans scheming against a common foe. You see, Jesus didn't fit into their worldview because Jesus was not of their worlds. I wish somebody would get what I'm really trying to say. Jesus didn't fit into their worldview because the kingdom of God was not of their worlds. So the Pharisees and the Herodians plotted against the kingdom because Jesus posed a threat to their power. Jesus threatened all worldly powers, all worldly kingdoms and authorities. He threatened the Jews, calling them out for their religious hypocrisy. He threatened the Romans, calling them out for their secular idolatry. He even threatened the gates of hell, casting out demonic authorities. So they collaborated and conspired together, plotting and scheming and conniving, even though he had done no wrong. It's crazy, Jesus had the church, the state, and all hell wanting him dead. But with no one to trip them up, and no dirt to dig up, there was only one way to eliminate the threat. Make something up. You see, Daniel was favored, he was faultless, but he was framed. In verses 6 through 15 of the book of Daniel, after a fruitless search for skeletons in his closet, the only thing, listen, the only thing that they could have against Daniel was his devotion to God. So they outlawed prayer. They outlawed prayer, y'all. Some of y'all are like, well, that's fine, I don't pray. They outlawed prayer because they couldn't find dirt. They couldn't find skeletons. The only thing that they could find was that he was fully and wholly devoted to his God, and so they outlawed prayer. Behind Daniel's back, they convinced King Darius to sign a 30-day bill. For the next 30 days, nobody could pray unless it was to the king nobody could pray unless it was to Darius that was pretty clever of them to get Darius to sign the bill hey Darius why don't you be a god nobody could pray unless it was to Darius and in that action it was declaring that there was no other god but Darius that he was the mediator nobody could pray unless it was to the king now we shouldn't be surprised guys this is what babylon does this is what babylon does it sees total devotion to god as an enemy of the state this is how babylon thinks it views obedience to god and his word as its greatest threats so guess what it tries to dismantle or reinvent or deconstruct Religion, in order to preserve its own power. Why? Because if you can take God away, it'll empower the state, and the state and its leadership can become God. Now watch. With that same spirit, the religious leaders accused Jesus of subverting the authority of Rome by refusing to acknowledge Caesar as King and God. We're told in Luke 23 too, the accusation made against Jesus was that he misled the people and refused to pay taxes. We're told in verse 14 of that same chapter, they charged Jesus with intending to incite an insurrection against Rome. In John 19, they pointed fingers at Jesus and said, you are no friend of Caesar. Can y'all see the fusion of the story of Daniel and Jesus? It's uncanny. Although King Darius in this story, much like Pontius Pilate, the governor over the uh, condemnation of Jesus, they were both uneasy about this accusation. Uh, accusation That King Darius uh, loved Daniel and knew Daniel to be blameless. And Pilate himself knew that Jesus was an innocent man. But guess what? They both crumbled under pressure of those political forces that had kept them in power. In other words because power had become their God, they'd rather condemn an innocent man than lose their influence. I wanna be clear, in Babylon, it was Daniel's devotion to God that led him to the lions, and it was Jesus' obedience to the Father that led him to the cross. Do we have any Christians here? Do we have any churchy folk here? Y'all might want to take note of this. Listen, in Babylon, in the United States, in this world, it was Daniel's devotion to God that led him to the lions. And it was Jesus' obedience to the Father that led him to the cross. Do you see it? In systems hostile to God's kingdom, Devotion to God will almost always never lead to success. Never lead to popularity, money, or power, but submission to God's will almost certainly will lead to death. I feel like I need to say that again. In systems of this world, hostile to God's kingdom, devotion to God will almost never lead to success, popularity, money, or power. But submission to God's will will lead to death. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I love this, this is gonna sting a little bit, but in Babylon, many are disciples until they realize it's gonna cost them everything. In Babylon, many are believers as long as it remains trendy and uncontroversial. In Babylon, many are faithful and devoted until threatened with a den or a tomb. I said in Babylon, many are disciples until they realize it's gonna cost them everything. In Babylon, many are believers as long as it remains trendy, as long as it goes with the worldly narrative, as long as it doesn't offend anybody. Many are believers. As long as it remains uncontroversial, many are believers in our faith when devoted in Babylon until threatened with a den or a tomb. Favored. Favored. Faultless, framed. And now in verses 16 through 18, I've entitled it, fallen, fallen. We see in the story, Daniel was cast into the lion's den, covered by a stone that was sealed with signets of the king and his lords. Daniel was left for dead with hungry lions, buried in the tomb. Covered by a stone Secured with the official signet of the Roman Empire Jesus wasn't just left for dead. He was actually dead Dark And cold The den and the tomb symbolized the final destination of the human body doubly sealed by a rock and a signet representing that once you go down there's no way you're coming back doubly sealed because once you go into the grave you don't come out of the grave you see Genesis 2 calls death creation's curse did you know that? Y'all want to hear something mind-blowing? Genesis tells us that death is a curse. You know what that means? That means death is unnatural. Did y'all know that? It's not natural for you to die. God didn't create us to die. In fact, in the garden, he created us to live, but it wasn't until sin came in that we were cursed to die. As a result, according to the original design of God, Death is unnatural. Genesis 2 calls death creation's curse. How about this? Romans 6 calls death a wage earned for a life of sin's work. How many of y'all been earning a lot of death? Romans 6 calls death a wage earned for a life full of sin's work. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls death the last enemy to be destroyed. Death is not our friend. Now this next part about death, this is not a scripture, but someone said once, death is the great equalizer. Death don't care, y'all, whether you're Christian or not Christian. Death is coming. Whether you're poor or rich, white, black, Latino, Latina, Asian, death don't care if you're male or female, if you're young or old, your sexual preferences, death does not care. Somebody once said, death is the great equalizer. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go, and once you're in, it is sealed, and there's no way out. Before we finish, I want to ask you Have you ever wrestled with your mortality? Have you ever thought about maybe some of us don't, but have you ever wrestled? Maybe there's someone here. Maybe you've been wrestling with your mortality. It's been said that most people live in a kind of death denial until something comes along that really shakes that reality. What do I mean by that? Maybe you or someone, you know, have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. And there's not much time for them to live maybe you've lost someone that you really love and that experience has gripped you and traumatized you maybe you've reached a certain age i know now that i'm inching closer to 40 My brother-in-law just celebrated his birthday last week and we had a beautiful time. But one thing he said was now that he's 50, he doesn't really like that. Like something is shifting. He's been disturbed by it. I don't know, ladies. I'm not a lady. I don't want to speak for you, but I know us men when we start to break down a little bit this year, I've been having some medical issues. I went to the doctor and they said, Hey, you got to start taking medicine every day. And my 80-year-old father doesn't take medicine a day in his life. I got my mom's (laughs) genes. Like, dad's probably gonna outlive me. But I'm taking medicine and I'm turning 40, and my body's breaking down. Maybe you reached a certain age and you feel like time is running out. Your body just doesn't do the things that it used to, and you feel the corruption eating away. Even this pandemic has shattered death denial. Listen, this is the den and this is the tomb. And this is our fear that once the stone has been rolled and sealed, once the casket has been lowered and closed, that there is no hope for us to ever come back beyond the grave. But I got news for you, favored, faultless, framed, fallen, freed. Verse 19 through 23 tells us that early in the morning on the next day, the king hurried to the den only to find out that the angels had shut the mouth of the lions and Daniel was unharmed, untouched, unscathed but there's even better news than that early in the morning on the third day i said early in the morning on the third day come on i got better news for you early in the morning on the third day the women of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, they scurried to the tomb. They were, gonna, they were hoping that they would be able to see the body, but the stone was rolled. But early in the morning on the third day, the women went to the tomb and encountered an angel who revealed to them, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. what does this all mean you see Daniel stepped out of the den but Jesus stepped out of the tomb what Daniel could only vaguely point to Jesus fully accomplished I love what Hebrews chapter 2 14 to 15 has to say Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We celebrate Easter because in Christ's death and resurrection the curse has been removed. We celebrate Easter because in Christ's death and resurrection the wages of sin have been paid. We celebrate Easter because in Christ's death and resurrection the last enemy has been destroyed. Listen to the Gospel of Daniel, chapter 6, verse 23. says, so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. Y'all hear the gospel? He had trusted in God. You might be asking today, how do I receive this gift of life? How can I live beyond the grave? How can I escape the overwhelming fear of death and receive hope? How can I be sure that when I die, no harm will be done to me, that the mouth of the lion of death will be shut, and that I'll come out on the other side in eternity with God? You see, in the same way Daniel's trusting God, shut the mouth of the lions inside the den, your faith in Jesus will shut the mouth of death inside of your tomb. Favored, faultless, framed. Falling freed Now King Darius declares to the world For he is a living God Enduring forever His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end he delivers and rescues he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions